we can't shop our way out of global warming. It's green consumerism. Like mm-hmm. electric cars are good. They're better. But we need infrastructure. We need public transit. How about no cars? We can't just green up our current way of living. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we are your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley, the mother-daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the halfway point of the Slow Living Challenge. If you are just now tuning in or you're just finding the good dirt, welcome. This is a weekly sustainable living podcast with my mom and myself, and we are smack in the middle of our annual Slow Living Challenge, which is something that we do every year around this time. It's online. This year, we're mostly on Instagram. We've been sharing and connecting via the hashtag Slow Living Challenge. Our Instagram account is We Are Lady Farmer. if you want to go ahead and follow us along there. Every week is a different theme. If you want to sign up to get all of the notifications and introduction to the challenge, you can sign up at the link in our bio and you can get caught up there. But in the meantime, we are going to zone back into this week, which we have been talking about clothing and slow fashion. So would you like to tell everyone what you've been thinking about this week, mom, in regards to slow fashion? Yeah. So this week we're talking about going through your closet and evaluating what you have and what it's made of and whether or not you wear it, whether or not you want to keep it and what to do about it if you don't. And it's really fun. It's an exploration of what's in your house, what's in your space. And this is important for all of us to do. And what are you wearing? So I've been going through my clothes item by item and I look at the contents and is it natural fibers? If it is natural fibers, and that's a win in my book. If it's got synthetics in it, or if it's a blend, or if it's all synthetics, I think, do I wanna wear this against my skin? I try to avoid that in my clothing. However, all of us, or most of us, I should say, do have items that do contain some of these synthetics already. So we want to use them until the absolute end of their life or give them to someone who can use them and will use them. But the important thing is if we're hanging on to these things, then remember to wash them less frequently or wash them as seldom as possible because that's how the microplastics are released into the environment. So those are a couple of things I'm paying a lot of attention to in my closet these days. Do I like it? Is it comfortable? Is it serving a purpose in my wardrobe? And I decide whether or not I want to keep it. And then when I have a pile of things that I think I want to move along, I think about how I can remove them from my closet responsibly. And that means not throwing them away in the landfill, 
of course, you know, the average American throws about 80 pounds of textile waste in the landfill each year. So we don't want to contribute to that. I think the best way of moving things along is to find a local outlet, like church rummage sales, local garage sales, thrift stores, things that you know are going straight into your community and being used. So that's just a few of the things we've touched on. So Emma, what about you in your closet this week? I love going through my clothes and pulling things to take to clothing swaps with my friends. So we've been doing clothing swaps a bit more frequently lately. And I have found, this seems so obvious, but I found that actually putting a bag or a basket in my closet helps me in the moment when I'm looking at what I have and thinking about what I'm wearing. If there's a shirt hanging and I, and I pass by it repeatedly, I might pull it out and say, when was the last time I wear this? I'm not actually wearing it. So in that moment, I have a place to put it that I know I'm going to take to a clothing swap as opposed to once in a while doing like a big clean out and kind of getting decision fatigue from that. I'm doing it more slowly one by one. So basically I've got my little bag and then when that fills up, I text my friends and say, hey, when I've got a nice little pile, want to do a clothing swap? So that's something that I've started doing and I've noticed that that really helps me just be more aware of what I have and what I'm wearing and what I'm ready to let go of. Yeah, that really helps me too. It helps you not put off getting it out of your closet. You actually have a place to put it. I think that's a key point in doing this. So this week on the Soul Living Challenge, we are challenging you to slow down, look at your closet, think about slow fashion. Definitely for this week, especially maybe experiment with not buying anything new for your closet and see you know, what you have, maybe what needs mending, what needs repairing, what you're ready to let go of, maybe organize a clothing swap, all kinds of things. So tune in on Instagram with us and you can see lots more ideas from the community and some really fun prompts there. That's We Are Lady Farmer on Instagram. And you know what? I think that this topic translates really well to this week's guest, who is queen of resourcefulness and using what you have. Anne-Marie Bonneau is our guest for today from Zero Waste Chef. Anne-Marie is a cookbook writer, blogger, fermenter, and sourdough baker. And as we said, she is the voice behind the blog Zero Waste Chef. And she's author of a book by the same name. She's lived plastic-free since 2011, and she shows others how reducing their trash not only benefits the planet, but also satisfies their taste buds, improves their well-being, and boosts their bank accounts. Anne-Marie lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her two daughters and her sourdough starter. Anne-Marie says that a sustainable lifestyle starts in the kitchen. So... You can get started with the use what you have, spend less money recipes, and lots of tips that you will find in her book and by following her on Instagram and, of course, right here on the Good Dirt Podcast in the conversation that you're about to hear. This was so fun. Anne-Marie reminded me of Thneeds, and I've been thinking about them ever since. And so if you're like me and you had forgotten what a Thneed is, stay tuned and you will find out. So take it away, Anne-Marie Bonneau, the Zero Waste Chef. My name is Anne-Marie Bonneau. I write a blog called The Zero Waste Chef, and I've written a book of the same title. And I started down this road after reading about plastic pollution in the oceans. And I just wanted to get off of plastic, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Zero Waste Chef, that makes me think that you're a recipe developer, cook. Is it just that, or do you go into other things, zero waste and zero waste living? 
Uh, yeah, I, I go into other things. So I do have a lot of recipes. When I first decided to kick the plastic, I had to figure out how am I going to get vinegar? And I might want a fizzy drink once in a while. And I had baked bread since my older daughter was a baby. But I had this inkling that I could do it without buying active dry yeast. So then I started making sourdough and I started fermenting all the things. And I also talk about just how to shop for the food so that you don't bring home a lot of plastic. And I touch on things like our food system and uh, let's see, a little bit on gardening, a little bit obsessed with hugel culture. Oh, what's hugel culture? Oh, hugel culture is awesome. Not only do you get to say hugel culture all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but, so I have raised hugel culture beds. And basically, you bury logs in the soil. And then as those decay, they're filled with water. And we're in a severe drought here in California. It's a little bit scary. Yeah. As the wood decays, it releases that water. And the insects that break it down, they aerate the soil. And so the soil has eventually, takes years, has all of these nutrients and water. We, one of our cherry trees died and now... It's in hugel culture beds. So you bury the logs underground or you create raised beds? Raised beds. If I had a huge yard, I would do a mound. If you Google hugel okay. culture, then you'll mostly see mounds. So there are these raised mounds, but you need more space. And with when you have the mounds, you don't have to bend over to plant. You just stand and you plant things in the mound. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> This is so cool. Mom, have you heard of this? Yes. In fact, we have one. <laughs> Emma, you know that she might not know this, but like way down at the bottom of that hill, we cleared out all those logs. We made a Hugo culture down there. Oh, super cool. But it's, I've never heard you say that word though. <laughs> yeah. It's a permaculture thing. And in, in our case, and we need to do something about this, like tweak the system a little bit, but it's far away. So we tend not to use it. Also, it's pretty new. It's only a couple of years old. So it probably needs more time for this stuff to decay. But we need to get into the practice or rhythm of actually using it. It's so much easier to pluck your things from up closer to the house. One of the joys of having a we don't have a huge place. We only have seven acres, but that's a lot. That's a lot to do yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, that's nice. And oh. if it's a couple hundred yards away to get down there, we tend to not use it. So anyway, we need to address that. But yeah, we have a great Hugo culture and it's got all kinds of volunteer stuff growing out of it. It's really something to see. And we're feeding a lot of deer and rabbits and birds and stuff. So yeah, it's not going to waste by any means. Everything that grows in our yard stays in our yard. So I don't put anything in the yard waste bin because it's crazy do that to send all of these nutrients away send the leaves away bag them it's crazy oh yeah absolutely there was this very funny tiktok the other day from an account called black forager did you see this emma yeah Where she said public service announcement leave the leaves it was really great yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's one of humans more insane behaviors is raking leaves and having them hauled off in plastic bags but anyway that's a whole nother thing <laughs> I want to go back a little bit to your sort of transition into no plastic. And you said you read about plastic in the ocean. I'm wondering if there's a moment you can identify or was it just a series of 
revelations about that? Or what was the tipping point for you where you said, I'm going to go plastic free? That's a pretty big switch. It was back in 2011. So I had been reading about plastic pollution. And I think it was this catamaran that these environmentalists built out of plastic bottles and Uh other waste materials. And they sailed it from San Francisco to Australia to raise awareness of plastic pollution. So I think that's what caught my eye. And then I found out that animals are feeding it to their young. And so the young starve to death because they feel full, but they have no food. And it was just so horrifying. And it's for things we don't need. We don't need Coke. Yeah. It just, yeah, I was just so horrified. I told my older daughter, we have to get off of plastic. This is terrible. I don't want to be a part of it. Because I'm alive, I am still a part of it. Because until I have seven acres, (laughs) like you, grow everything myself and grow flax to make linen and weave my fabric. And I'm going to participate in the supply chain and so I may not bring anything home any plastic home but it's still out in the supply chain but anyway I'm doing what I can in my own life and also the the food I eat now tastes better I wouldn't be able to go back if I wanted to I wouldn't want to yeah so can you tell us a little bit about if you can remember because that was over 10 years ago now the transition because it's hard to do cold turkey. Oh yeah, you can't. So did you, if you can remember from your personal experience, was it in phases? What was like the the hardest thing to let go of? You mentioned fizzy drinks. That's funny. But yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. Yeah, I didn't drink a lot of fizzy drinks before, but anyway, yeah, I learned how to ferment them. The hardest part for me was personal care products. I remember testing shampoo bars and homemade deodorants at the same time. And it was not pretty. (laughs) That was hard. And toothpaste. So my daughter made me deodorant, which I use to this day. It's great. And finally figured out the shampoo thing. And back then, so that was 2011, the shampoo bar selections weren't great. And now there are tons of them. Mm. It's so much more common. But And it took months and months to transition because we started in the spring. I remember that's when I was trying to figure out personal care products. And at Thanksgiving, I remember my, so my older daughter was 16 and my younger daughter was 10. And Charlotte, my 10-year-old, wasn't really interested or aware of what was happening. But Mary Catherine was really into it. I remember us saying, Thanksgiving's coming up. How are we going to do Thanksgiving? So it was months. It was a really long, because you can't do it overnight. It's impossible. Our first shopping trip, when we decided to kit plastic, we went to the grocery store and we couldn't buy anything. Hardly anything. And I don't think I realized before that moment just how much plastic there is. And But anyway, I told Mary Catherine that we wouldn't be able to do it. I said, this is impossible. Can't buy anything in here. But then we just slowly made changes. And one of the big ones was to shop at the farmer's market. We have them year round here. We're completely spoiled. And it's all unpackaged. It's all delicious food in open bins. And the farmers get a bigger portion of our dollar 
and it's a lot more fun than going to a grocery store with the harsh fluorescent lighting. So that made a big difference. We sold some cloth produce bags, really simple to take to the farmer's market. And then we discovered that we could take our own containers to the stores with bulk bins. And I remember that was a big deal. We were so excited. We can just take our containers. We don't have to use the plastic bags. So (laughs) those two things made a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. So when you went to the store that first time and subsequently as well, there's so many things that, as you said, you can't get. And so you go to, okay, say you mentioned vinegar, a glass jar of vinegar. It still has the plastic cap. Did you just give yourself grace on that sort of thing? Yeah. And yeah. And, and do you still handle it that way? There's always, there's this little narrow window where of things that you just really have no control of and there's nothing to do about them. Or have you found solutions to uh, avoid even that? I know zero waste is, to what extent is it actually zero waste? We know there's a whole continuum in there. It's a goal. The zero is a goal that mm-hmm. you will probably never reach, but it sounds a lot better yeah. than reducing my trash by... Yeah, just, no, I found solutions for most things. The one thing that I haven't replaced is the little plastic seal on refillable glass bottles of milk, Mm. cream. Yeah. So that's one thing. So I'd need a cow or a goat, sheep. (laughs) Or something that we have here is if there's local farms where you can do a milk share. You can go, you go to the farmer's market, you go get your milk out of the, the one that we, my mom's still a member of. And I I did it last year is a bit of a drive though. So there's trade-offs to everything, but you would bring your own jar and they had this big tank and you fill it up with fresh milk. Oh, that's awesome. I bet you guys have something like that there. I probably have to drive pretty far. I've heard of vending machines. Yeah. 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 You take your glass bottle and not around here. I think. I read about them in Vancouver. Okay. Or in and around Vancouver. <laughs> Take your bottle and put it and I don't know, put some money in the machine and then it fills your bottle with milk. Wow. Do you, uh, is raw milk legal in California? Yes. I don't even know. Oh, that's great. So yeah. you can get it in store, in the store, but obviously it's not going to be in a plastic free thing, probably. And um, returnable glass bottles. Yeah, we just bought some at the farmer's market on Sunday. It's so good. It's really good. Yep. You might be able to find a cow share somewhere. <laughs> and granted, we have, it's, what is the carbon footprint of our driving 50 minutes to get it? That is a thing. But, you know, as we say so often in this discussion, there's trade-offs. Right. Advantages, disadvantages. There's loopholes. There's, you just give yourself a waiver on some things. You just have to balance it all out well, yeah. somehow. And the, Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I could buy a pound of beef at the butcher counter in my metal tin, but probably better to eat more legumes and beans. <laughs> and even if you have to buy them in plastic. I want to go back to that that point you were making earlier, and you also write about this on your website. Even when we're zero waste ourselves, even if we figured out all the alternatives and the ways around it, we're participating and it's still out there. It's still, you give a couple examples. Oh, well, eating in a restaurant. My daughter yeah. 
my older daughter has worked in a lot of kitchens while she was going to school. She worked in kitchens in the summer and the amount of waste, everything's in plastic and they store everything in single use plastic. Everything's comes in single use plastic and they store things in single use plastic. Plastic wrap is on everything. Mm-hmm. And the, oh, and the food waste too. So the one place Maricat worked in got this jam and big giant glass jars. And they came in, in cardboard boxes filled with styrofoam mm. to protect the glass. Yeah. yeah. So she would bring the jars home. So we have lots of really nice jars. But and you don't you don't see that. Yeah, I think about a lot too if you go to a place like Costco or something where you see the big, the bulk of the, and it's the packaging, that the packages come in, like even if the package that you're get you're purchasing yourself is reusable or recyclable, usually that whole pallet, right, is saran wrapped or it's just transport. It's everything. It's a lot of times, a lot of the plastic wrap and the plastic stuff and the single use is like literal he- health codes. Like it's legal. Yeah. It's, law to do that stuff at least here and i wonder and probably in california they're better about that but yeah it's crazy yeah Yeah. i remember before covid we were back earlier in our journey to live with less plastic we would take our to-go containers to take out food places and ask them to use those sometimes they would but more often than not, they would say that they couldn't do it because it was against the health code for them to have our container back behind the thing. So when you're dealing with laws and health codes, it's really seems like a, a, a giant mountain to climb. And with so many other examples of this where we have no control and we can have the best of intentions and short of becoming or driving people nuts with the observations and pointing this out and that out. And I have to watch myself too about sounding preachy about it. What do we do? And because you know as well as we do that once you start this, it really hurts your feelings to see all these things all over the place that other people aren't even thinking about. Yeah, I don't know. I just keep doing my thing. Maybe it's not doing anything. Maybe it's not helping anything. But I think that's true, but I feel better. And also yeah. it's fun. And the food mm-hmm. I eat tastes better than it did before. And I found also, so a friend of mine told me if I was preachy, I'd be unbearable. <laughs> but I noticed that friends and family, they've made changes. They just have seen things I've done and have said, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to start doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I, example. Exactly. The more we can just demonstrate and, and do as I do, not as I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Normalize it. Exactly. I'm really curious, Anne-Marie, this is something that I struggle with, last zero, going zero waste or not, but definitely if you are trying to do less waste, I imagine a good bit of, and just general healthy cooking, a good bit of planning and bulk and batch cooking goes into it. And I wonder what your, how much your weekly routine, daily cooking routine, how much of it is planned out and what is your rhythm like? Have a loose plan on the weekend. So this weekend we went to the farmer's market. Actually, Mary Catherine went on Saturday morning because she had an appointment down by the farmer's market and she bought a few things. And then we went on Sunday and did our main shopping. And we spend most of Sunday cooking okay. so that during the week, I don't have to. 
I made a giant vat of doll, a potato cauliflower doll. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. And Mary Catherine, she made bone broth and then with the big pot of it. And then with that, she made roasted honey nut squash soup, big bat. She roasted the honey nut squash and leany onions. I think that's what they're called. Fancy onions, garlic, roasted garlic, and had rosemary in with the honey nut squash. Pureed that with the broth. It's amazing. The soup is incredible. Mm. It's so good. And what else did we make? Oh, I made some pastry. And so yesterday I quickly made a galette. We had leftovers, but we also had dessert. And we still have lots of soup and lots of dal. And I still have some pastries. So tonight I'm going to make a quiche. And then tomorrow night we'll have three leftover dishes to choose from. So awesome. That's how I do it. I, and I look in the refrigerator first before I go shopping. So I look in the refrigerator and think, okay, what can I make with what I have on hand here? Instead of asking, oh, what do I feel like eating? I saw you had a post recently. Did you just finish up a challenge with your followers where it was like, use what, clean out your pantry or something? That's so great. Yeah, it was a, I thought before Thanksgiving would be a good time to reduce food waste because Mm -hmm. you'll clear your refrigerator and pantry out for all of the stuff you're going to buy. And you'll Mm -hmm. make room for leftovers. So that was maybe day one. It was, yeah, cook something with what you have on hand before you go shopping. And if you do that, you will slash food waste. And also probably packaging waste too, because some of that food probably came in packages And so if you eat that, instead of having it go bad, buying more food in more packages, you'll slash all kinds of things and you'll save a fortune. Yeah. Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. Yeah, so that sort of touches on the concept of convenience and how for a few decades now, 
that has really driven our consumer habits. And I remember I raised my children in the 90s and kind of mantra then was do whatever's convenient for you. You have to get through the day. You have to make it work. And that was a boom time for a lot of these. They've been along for a while, but really these packaged foods and these things to put in the kids' lunches, cheese sticks and the- Lunchables. Yeah, Lunchables and the pudding and plastic thing of pudding. And we were led down the path of your peace of mind or your sanity is worth this. This is what you need to do to help yourself get through the day. And I think that has certainly shifted a lot. People are certainly more aware now. And back then in the 90s, I don't think like we realized the extent of the amount of throwaway stuff that was going on, or it wasn't sinking in. But anyway, I would, since you, you do this and you, you make a practice of it and you write about it and you blog about it, how can we shift the modern day consumer into believing and knowing that lower or zero waste doesn't have to mean more work or more time. It doesn't have to mean, oh, this is less convenient, so I can't do it because my life is so crazy. How can we reframe that? Because that's not true. I don't think that's really true. In some cases it is, but anyway, can you speak to that? We need a, I think the whole mind shift. Sure, opening a can is a lot more convenient. The cans are lined with plastic, though. But all of this stuff is highly processed food that's making us sick. Yeah. And, it's, and now it's Western diet. It's now the global diet. It's just not, we can't go on like this. I was talking to a friend about this yesterday, and she said, sustainability has to be convenient, or no one's going to do it. And I thought, what's the alternative? We can't continue like this. So laws would really help. If we Mm -hmm. had laws banning, and there actually are several that went into effect last year in California. There's one that companies will no longer be allowed to put the chasing arrows symbol on products that aren't actually recyclable or that won't be recycled because people buy the stuff and they think, oh, I'll put this in the bin and then it becomes something else and has zero impact. Mm -hmm. And so... It's just not true. We need to learn some life skills. So schools taught things like cooking and gardening, just taught people how to take care of themselves. Then the kids can teach their parents. Because all of that cooking we did on weekend, it was a lot of work on Sunday, but now I can relax. And I don't have to go through drive through or order something from DoorDash. I've got like this super healthy, delicious food that tastes better than what I would order through DoorDash. Yeah. And decision, the decisions that are made for you for the week, I find I get really tired. I get decision fatigue from every mealtime. Okay, what am I going to eat? If you have two or three things to pick from in your fridge, that's so many. And yeah. That's convenient. That's yes, really convenient. Exactly. It's so convenient. Yeah. The stuff's it's already I just have to heat it up and and I also have so with my doll last night I also had some chopped fermented jalapenos that I had made in the spring maybe summer anyway really good and a preserved little bit of preserved lemon and oh Mm. and some cilantro chutney that I had frozen I made a while ago it was so yummy yeah also I think there's something that and this is sort of an unformed thought but the convenience of that can 
we only see the can part and our experience with it, which feels convenient. But everything that went into that can is like really not convenient for people who work to get it there, for the systems that have to be in place to do that, for the planet who has to support all the energy to make all of those things. So it's a tricky, it's a really hard conversation to have, but I think we need have to keep having it because the way that the system is set up is that there are sectors of the population that rely on those cans and they there's times when I rely on those cans. Oh yeah. But that's the problem is the system, oh, right? Absolutely. It's systemic and it's not the consumer's fault. No. Right. So I think that we just have to say that more. <laughs> oh yeah. No, absolutely. If people don't have a living wage, then they can't take care of themselves and their families. Yeah. Then they can't they don't have time to cook. No, the whole system. We have this centralized food system with a handful of companies controlling everything and getting obscenely rich in the meantime and making consumers sick. And they decide what we eat and who makes it. And yeah, it's not the whole system. And they decide how to talk about it as well. And for decades, they've been talking about it as if these things are going to make your life easier. And apparently we have swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. We have, oh yeah, it's so convenient to buy all these single-use plastic foods to throw in the kids' lunch. Then I don't have to make lunch. Okay, so we in turn can be talking about things differently now. We can just point out, here is the convenience of taking a couple hours on Sunday And with your farmer's market food and having these foods ready to go in your refrigerator, this is really convenient and also healthier and tastes better and all the advantages to this. And by the way, you're having to schlep to the store many times a week to pick up these items, these processed packaged items. That's not so convenient after all. There's a world in which that's you're just running back and forth to the store a lot. And so it's just a matter of, I think, talking about it a lot and doing by example, which you do so well Well, and with Zero Waste Chef, just helping people reframe this conversation that's been fed to us from the, the powers that be. It's just not true. And another thing, I think people think that they have to eat some elaborate meal every night for dinner and you don't. You just need to eat, make sure that what you do eat is just healthy, simple food. It is, and it is, it can be so simple. And this is what I'm talking about. We just, we want to tell people this. Hey, if you've got, if you got a squash at the farmer's market or at the store, wherever you got it, if you got a spaghetti squash, for instance, cut it in half, put it on a baking sheet, bake it, slice some tomatoes on top, butter, onions, chives, or whatever, little Parmesan cheese. You've got a great meal with zero effort. There's so many examples of things like that that so simple and no trash and as we were saying earlier once you start doing this it just feels so good and it's so much fun it's almost like a self-challenge and once you just get over that hump of oh this is harder I don't have time to do this I've got kids I have a job all those things are true we get it it's just a matter of looking at it a little bit differently I think I don't know Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, listeners. Let me have it no, if you disagree. I want to recognize the, the 
creative energy that goes into it because there is a certain amount of creative energy and thought. And I think that a lot of times it feels that we don't have that or we aren't capable of that. And I just want to remind anyone listening that that's not true. And if you feel that way, it is on purpose because the way that our attention economy works now is we it benefits a lot of other people for us to feel like we can't do anything ourselves mm-hmm. and oh, that we yeah. can't think about things ourselves and that we're not that creative. And it's it can feel, speaking from experience, it can literally feel insurmountable like someone listening might be like the, what you just described with the spaghetti squash mom. Mm-hmm. That could be even too much. Okay. How do I think of the spaghetti squash? I need to get, I need to pay someone to tell me exactly what to do step by step. That's how so many of us are. That's how I am. And so I just want to say that out loud too. I don't have the exact answer except just remember that the reason you feel that way is because we are depleted creatively and energetically <laughs> because of all the things that are asked of us all the time. And I think that's what, that's why we have this podcast and what it comes down to for us. Slow living is what can we do to get some of that back so we can do this. And what comes with that is the, I will say intangible, but very real feeling of trading out this feeling of dependence, lack of time, being rushed for the realization that we can do things and it does feel good. It's very rewarding and and really does not necessarily, it can take more time, but it doesn't have to. And that's why we just like to talk about these things a lot on here. And shifting a little bit, I love the word you came up with and on your website, Needs. You said you don't have needs. <laughs> Talk about needs. What are they? Oh, okay. Give us some examples. Oh, all right. I wish I could take credit. That's from the Lorax. That's a Dr. Seuss. Oh, oh yeah. right. Now yeah, that you yeah. say that, I remember. Okay, yeah. very good. Yeah. So the Onesler, he makes these needs, which are his factory makes them out of the truffle trees, and they chop down all the truffle trees for their fluffy. I don't know what they are. They're not leaves, but the trees are these puffy, colorful girls coming out of them. And so his factory, they weave them into thneeds, which are, I don't even know what they are. They're like sweaters. He says you can use them as a sweater or bicycle seat or bicycle (laughs) covers or all sorts of different things. But it's just, it's a thing no one needs. Yeah. So that, that always stuck with me, the thneed. Yeah. Just, we're just marketed constantly with thneeds. Can I just say that I almost bought a couple of times in the past few days and I literally had to be like, no, like, I feel like, what are you doing? Is this, have you guys seen the like red light therapy face? We're probably wand? getting to different ads, but yeah, there's like a the wand. Yeah, I saw it's that like, today. <laughs> like a glowing red thing and it makes your skin perfect, of course. Maybe it does. <laughs> I don't know. If you want to sponsor us, we'll give it a try. <laughs> but I think that's the ultimate. I personally, my skin, I feel pretty, pretty okay about my skin. I have my skin and I'm, it's not even, that's not even a pain point for me. Luckily, I have plenty of other pain points, but the, <laughs> it's just, I really feel like I need this wand and I, it's just this funny I can watch myself having the thoughts and be like wait that's a, it's totally a thing yeah, oh, yeah okay. it's just 
$39 or whatever. Yeah. No, it's um, $150, the one that I saw. Oh, no, I really? About well, it. I, you yeah. guys say your Sneeds? <laughs> now I'm embarrassed. Oh, Sneed. I've bought yeah. lots of Sneeds in the past. I can't think yeah. of anything else. Amazon. I, I bought, definitely, you definitely used to buy Sneeds. Yeah. Yeah, and I, now I'm dealing with that. If I could talk to my younger self, I one thing I would say was, Think before you buy stuff, because when you are older, you will want to purge it and yes. it will drive you crazy. You'll mm-hmm. have a garage full of crap <laughs> that you can't get rid of. Big yes. You'll spend weekends going through the junk in your garage, trying giving some to Goodwill and posting some on next door. And yeah, just try not to accumulate a whole bunch of stuff. Amen. I think that like the human life cycle in these days and times is you spend a certain first part of your life building up, achieving, getting your degrees and your job and getting all the stuff and getting all set up. And then at some point it tips very quickly into, oh, golly. And you start undoing all those things and undoing them. Yeah. And certainly on the other side of the accumulation part and just went through our grandparents' house. <laughs> just went my parents' house and they've you know, they've been married 71, 72 years and they had quite a few things. And a lot of that stuff is we were had limited time to to do it mm-hmm. there on the premises. So a lot of that stuff is in my barn loft right now. And I'm starting to think about, wow, you talk about weekends going through things. It's so true. And sometimes I'm very aware of life being my daily life actions tasks being about placing things, moving things, trying to get rid of things. And like you say, if I could speak to my younger self about just chill, chill on bringing stuff into the house. And I remember earlier, like 90s, early 2000s, when in the heyday of these big stores that that stock all this stuff and they have on sales and everything. And I remember in the days when that was that was an entertainment to go and, and get stuff and take advantage of the sales and have fun and all that kind of thing. And now I feel like I'm paying the price for that, paying the, the price for getting cheap things. And it's the price of your time. It's the price of your energy. It's the price of your mental health. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. All the clutter, the clutter is, it's just, it's, it's bad feng shui. <laughs> <laughs> It is. Are there any zero waste needs, Anne-Marie, that you can think of that because the other side of this whole conversation is all of the objects and products that that we're marketed to that are sustainable and that we think we need to be more sustainable. I think that's a very funny irony of this side of things. So can you think of any? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when we started this, Mary Catherine was 16. She was, she was just a teenager and she would come to me regularly and say, oh, we need to buy this to replace that. Mm-hmm. We need to buy metal straws and we need to buy silicone baking mats. And finally, I said to her, we can't shop our way out of global warming. It's just a different, it's, a, it's green consumerism. Mm-hmm. Like electric cars are good. They're better. But we need infrastructure. We need public transit. We yeah. Need, we how about no cars? <laughs> yeah, how about no cars? We can't just green up our current way of living. Yeah. 
yeah, there, there are lots. I once, so I get emails all the time from companies wanting to work with me. Oh, I bet you do. Oh yeah. Every day. And some of the stuff is crazy. Some one company had a subscription zero waste box. (laughs) Oh, what? Yeah. And I thought, what's in this box? (laughs) Every month you would get a box. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, that that's thin yeah, so many, for sure. Just because we've got we're such a consumer culture, mm-hmm. we can't seem to think beyond buy buy. We're just constantly bombarded with that message. So there's so much greenwashing, too much greenwashing. Yeah, I think that's what the whole conversation, this conversation, and the bigger conversation is. When we can pay attention to the thought processes that we've evolved over these decades, when we become conscious of that, we can unravel them, we can back off of it, and actually catch ourselves like you with this ultra red skin wand, Emma, and say, oh, (laughs) I... I don't like, even know what that means. And I'm like, yeah. I need it. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling this impulse. And and just stop a minute, recognize it, be able to unravel that and possibly make a different decision. Not necessarily, but give yourself a chance to make a different decision. Oh, I'm listening to that book, Emma, that it's the book club choice in our online community, The Almanac. And it's called The Good Ancestor. You would like this book, Anne-Marie. And yeah. He's talking about the advent of the buy now button. Everywhere you see a thing online and there's the button right now, buy now. So that just short circuits any thought process, any kind of reflection about it or, yeah, it's right there. So anyway, well, watch out for buy now. The, the one click. Yeah. Buy now. Yeah, there's even one, there's put in your cart, and that gives you a chance to think about it. Add to cart. Mm -hmm. Add to cart. And then there's buy now. Don't even add to your cart. Just press this button and your credit card's charged and it's on the way. And don't think you're going to be able to cancel that because five minutes later, they're going to tell you it's already on the way. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Thank you. If I want to buy something, if I think there's, there was something recently, I can't think of what it was. And I thought, oh, I did get that. But if I just tell myself, okay, I have, can't buy it for a week or a month. By the time the week has passed, I can't remember. I know. I <laughs> do that. That I thought I wanted. That's the best. That's the best test. Sometimes for me, it's even 24 or 48 hours. I don't even have to say a whole week. I'm like, if I'm remembering in 48 hours and I still want it, and usually it's totally gone. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. Do you think that there is any... The thing about this conversation is that it gets depressing because it feels like there's no way out of this, the capitalist system, because it's what we are in. And if we opt out, then we then we have to opt out of everything. So is there any... Is there any sort of positive do you have any thoughts about is there any hope for conscious consumerism i'm saying that with air quotes or or buying greener or participating in the system but also having it evolve to be better or is it just like we just need to totally think of a new way of doing things just casual (laughs) (laughs) small question i think the system can evolve and we have to operate within the system that we yeah. find ourselves in. Apparently, I'm a hypocrite because 
I live indoors with heating. And yeah, yeah, you can't be perfect. It's impossible. But no, I think the system can evolve. It has to evolve. Where so, do you find hope? Where do you, what do you find hopeful? Yeah. Zooming out, what do you see happening this? Oh, this is good. This is the right direction. There are, I don't know, I guess there are more of us, I think, who are concerned than there are fossil fuel CEOs. That's a fun way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> there are, like there are millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people yeah. who care and who are working on this. So that gives me hope. And then just being active gives me hope. If I did nothing, then I would probably be pretty anxious and depressed. Yes. But, but just by taking action and mm-hmm. then seeing all of the other people taking action. So that gives me hope. I remember before Greta Thunberg came on the scene, I kept saying to friends and family, like, why aren't people out in the street? Why isn't everyone freaking out? And then people did start taking to the street. I agree with you that doing something active really does make you feel better. And thinking about getting in a tailspin about whether or not it's actually doing anything is so counterproductive because I think that if it's, if it is affecting you and the people around you, then it is doing something to whatever scale it is. Even if it's as simple as nourishing yourself better or nourishing your family or helping farmers do their thing or whatever it is. Ever since we started this project, my climate anxiety has, because I'm actively working every day on spreading these ideas and having these conversations and no, am I directly contributing to lowering the CO2 in the atmosphere? Probably not, but the act of engaging with it every day, it's just a different energy. I'll say where I find hope is we tend to talk about technology as that's such a big part of our woes and it is but i think we don't think about the fact that technology is technology and it's always looking forward and i think there are solutions that are underway now that maybe we don't even know about yet and that's sort of me using my imagination but technology has all along the way all along human evolution there have been problems and humans have solved it problems and humans have solved it mm-hmm. now whether or not we've gone too far this time that remains to be seen but <laughs> there still is hope that there are great minds out there working against bigger forces to bring about change so as well as all of us doing what we can on our own level so anyway i do think there's hope before we start wrapping up i'd like to hear you talk more about how zero waste and better health go hand in hand Oh, okay. I tell people results may vary, but I'm much healthier now than I was before because I stopped buying food in shiny packages, which is all the highly processed stuff. Not that I ate a ton of it, but now I don't eat any of it. About two weeks into this, I realized, oh, I'm eating a lot more fruit and vegetables. My health improved. Yeah. It's cool how fruits... And vegetables come in their own packaging. They I love that. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And, and then I started fermenting. I had made yogurt for a long time since Mary Catherine was a baby, but I didn't realize I was fermenting milk. I just knew, oh, if I heat this milk up and then let it cool a bit and add yogurt from the previous batch, I get more yogurt. Do you have any funny stories about maybe trying not to engage with plastic and then people not getting it? And then... Yeah. Any stories on that score? Once 
I was in the paper, the Mercury, San Jose Mercury, which is a big, it's a big paper. Mm -hmm. And so a reporter and her photographer came over and they spent a lot of time with me. And I didn't know when the story was going to come out. And a friend of mine texted me. She said, oh, great, right up in the Mercury this morning. And sent me the link and I read it and I thought, oh, yeah, it's a good article. And then later in the day, I thought, oh, I wonder if it's in the print edition. So I went to the store and I wandered around and I saw it and I was on the front page above the fold. <laughs> yeah, like the on the left, like the main store. Oh, no. I just was like in a panic. And I had the same shirt on as I did in the picture. <laughs> and I, I remember just like in shock and I grabbed the paper and I went to the cashier and there was a woman in front of me, but there was space on the conveyor belt. So I put the paper down and she turned to see people look and what are they buying? And she saw the paper and she said, Oh, that woman. (gasps) (laughs) And I just went, she said, she, she said, I read the whole article and I commend her for what she's doing, but she's so extreme. (laughs) And I was already in shock from being on the front page. And I just stood there looking at her and she looked at me and she said, Oh, is that you? So that's probably the funniest story I have about people not getting it, thinking I'm a weirdo. That's a good one. That's a good one. If you're going to act outside of the system at all, you have to be a weirdo. Yeah. yeah. If we were normal. True. true. But how am I, how am I front page news? Really? How did we get to this point? I eat a lot of vegetables. I don't buy stuff I don't need. And I ride my bike a lot. Yeah. Wow. And I'm extreme. Wow. I'm extreme. What a statement. Yeah. That's just like the <sighs> biggest glaring irony. <laughs> That's great. What a great story. I love that. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. I should thank that woman because I tell that story all the time now. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, that the newspaper was in, in a plastic bag. No, yeah, long ago, I used to get the paper. This was before I went plastic-free. This was, I'm from Canada. We moved to the States in 98. So when we moved here, I started to get the paper. And that's the same way in Canada. Anyway, I canceled it because of the plastic. I remember a yeah. friend thought I was nuts. Yeah, that's less of an issue now because I feel like not many people get the paper delivered. Anymore. Oh, yeah. That was back in the late 90s. But it is baffling. Yeah, that was a lot of plastic. Yeah, it was every day. And I just I thought, I can't, I'm canceling. Yeah. <laughs> Too much plastic. I can't stand yeah. it. Same thing. And I remember, I don't even remember where I was living at the time. It's been a while. But I asked, can you please not do it in plastic? And I was refused because it gets wet. And then people right. complain that their paper's wet and they they demand another one or a discount or whatever. So then again, you run into the whole thing. The whole thing is... Oh, yeah. Yep. What does slow living mean to you? Just living intentionally. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Do you feel like you do slow living? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I first read about the guy who started the slow food movement. Yeah. I read about that must have been like 20 years ago. Yeah, it's a long time. And it probably started before that, but that's when I read about it. Yeah, it just really appealed to me. It started, yeah. I can't remember 
what year, but it started with a bunch of people in Italy, in Rome. Yep. They were protesting a McDonald's going in the main square or something. Yep. And yeah, and they coined the phrase. It's still alive and well. Oh, writing. yeah. I yeah. gave a talk last year for our local slow food chapter. Oh, fun. So what does the good dirt mean to you? Other than the name of this podcast, what does that um, phrase mean to you? Well, literally, I think of soil and everything comes from the soil. So it's essential that we stop abusing it and take care of it. And yeah. Us with everything we need. We have everything we need. Oh, and I love it. We totally do. The work you do with as zero waste chef, people had to cook without the things that are messing up the soil and teaching people about food waste and how to prevent it. That is a tremendous factor in taking care of our soil because actually food, food, not food, food waste, food that we're not using is a huge, is a very valuable resource if it can be put back rather than a toxic landfill item that causes methane gas. You have a choice, two choices there. (laughs) You can eat it or three, you can eat it. You can throw it in a landfill and it creates methane gas and, and contributes to climate change, or you can put it back and have it enrich our soil becoming good dirt. Right. So right. the work that you do is a wonderful contribution to all those ideas. Plus it's just great stuff. It's great food, great, re- great recipes, great ideas, great hints, and your content just is incredible. So thank you for what you do. We really appreciate it. And I love it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. <laughs> is there anything else that you want listeners to understand about the work that you do? The perfection is not possible. So just let go of that. And if you want to reduce your waste, just start with the easy stuff. Don't focus on the stuff you can't do. Yeah. And what, in your opinion, is the easy stuff or in your experience is the easiest stuff? Well, so for us, it was eating more vegetables and fruit. I think I have my standard talk that I give when I go around and actually it's mostly been on Zoom lately, but <laughs> give my standard talk. And really the short version is eat more whole foods, eat more, yeah. fruit, eat more fruits and vegetables. And if you do that, you're going to address a lot of problems. Yeah. And the food is delicious. So, And my trick is at the grocery store, if you are going to the grocery store, if you're not lucky enough to have a farmer's market, you don't have to use the little baggies for your veggies. You can just put them in your cart or you can also bring your own bags. But if you're someone like me who always forgets them, you just don't need to use a bag. Right. (laughs) The the cashier doesn't care. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. You don't need to put, I don't know, small pumpkins in a plastic bag. No. Yeah. (laughs) Along those lines. And I think you use this quote on your website as well. The quote from Michael Pollan, if it's a plant, eat it. If it was made in a plant, don't. <laughs> I love that. It covers a lot of territory right oh, there. Yeah. yeah. And his other maxim for eating, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Yeah. I almost forgot. And this ties in. And one more question before we go. I'd love to hear you talk about lard because lard for decades has been like the bad boy of all foods. So talk about lard is like this wonderful food, which it is. 
Oh, lard's delicious. I haven't rendered lard in in a while, but lard's delicious makes the best pastry. My mom makes oh, yeah. amazing pastry because she puts lard in it. Yes. And uh, yeah, if you, you want it from pasture-raised um, eggs and you just need a little bit. I used, boy, I haven't made these for a long time, baked beans. The recipe, yeah, the recipe I used to make, it's an Alton Brown recipe. And mm-hmm. it calls for, I don't know, a ham hock or something, but I found they're delicious just with some lard. As long as you have lard, yeah, you just need a little bit and it adds so much flavor. Oh my goodness. I'm going to try that. Making baked beans. That's a great, I don't know, correct me because you've probably made them. I have not, but that would, I think that would be a great swap, a fun swap to do because baked beans in a can are not the most healthy thing you can eat. A lot of times it's a ton of sugar oh, yeah. stuff that's in it, mm-hmm. but baked beans homemade and with lard sounds like it would be amazing. Oh, they're amazing. I use my Dutch oven, my big Dutch oven and... Oh, I have to make some now. Yeah. Do you have a recipe on your blog? Or no, do you do- I don't. It's an Alton Brown recipe I use. So bottom line is you don't have to be afraid of lard. It's a great and useful food. And you can feel okay about the climate change aspect of it because you can source animals that are raised responsibly so that if you choose to use lard for its many benefits you can rest assured that you are not harming the climate. Also in general, it it is a byproduct. So even if it's not like from the sourciest source, it's still using something that would otherwise be not used. Good point. I used to get free pork fat at the butcher. They would just give me pounds and pounds of it for free because they just throw it out. Yeah. And it makes, if I were to buy lard, I would make quite a bit of it. It would be really expensive. It's such a good point. It, yeah. And I wanted you to talk about that because I did notice that, that you talk about lard and that how you like to use it. And, and I think a lot of people are just almost afraid of it, actually. Or- yeah, because for years we were told a low-fat diet was the best and fat's really bad for you and you should never eat fat. And it's not true. I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> thank you so much for chatting with us today. Well, thank you. Anything else you can think of that you wanted to talk about or you'd like to talk about that you, you didn't mention now? I think people shouldn't feel guilty for the system that we live in. You have to survive. And it can... And we're swimming upstream a lot of the time. So yeah, and guilt is not a helpful feeling. Like you don't can't do anything with that. <laughs> Once you start doing these things and making these decisions, the decisions that you won't feel guilty about come easier and easier. They come more naturally. They come from a place of just real passion and desire instead of just trying to check off the be good box. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anne Marie. We will we'll be in touch. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you, Emma and Mary. Was yeah, and I'm gonna go make my baked beans. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look up that recipe too. Have yeah. thank <laughs> and thank you so much for your time today. I know you're so busy. We really appreciate it, and just really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, I did too. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. You can reach our listener voicemail at four four three four five nine one nine five zero. That's 443-459-1950. 
You can find this number in our show notes and in the link in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer with original music composed and performed by John Kingsley. Our technical partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. Post-production by Alex Brower and Jose Miguel Baez, coordinated by Gabriela Montequim. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt.